0: Hi everyone, you're listening to Finding Japan. This is episode 37, and usually I know I have something little witty to stick into the front before the music starts, but today I I just couldn't come up with one that was better than the other. Well, thanks again for tuning in and downloading yet again. Um if this is your first time listening to Finding Japan, welcome. We're at episode 37 already. It's almost hard to believe that there have been 37 of these. In fact, uh, there's actually more. M- many people who just subscribe through iTunes or what have you probably don't know this, but um I think iTunes actually by default will only give you the last 5 or 10 episodes. I'm not quite sure which, but um, there's actually quite a few on the feed so if you are just joining us um, please by all means go ahead and grab uh, the earlier episodes and speaking of earlier episodes I received an email from a listener uh, later last week I believe uh, about the uh, quick mention of the um, Nintendo DS dictionary that I have so I'll be getting into a little more detail in that today also I um, I'm going to warn the listeners in advance today that uh, we are going to nerd out a little bit. I'm going to talk a little bit about the podcasting setup I've had. Um, I think it was Terrence and Sam Nakji were interested in uh, Ubercaster, the program that I'm using right now. And I th- I have what I think would be a pretty thorough review and might be interesting at least to those who, who also podcast who who listen to this. but. I will warn you um, that will come at the end of the episode. So if you if you are uh, not really into that or don't care, you can pretty much switch off when you hear the cue for that episode there. And um, I was going to do an only in Japan, but you know I, I really didn't have anything put together for it, so I'm going to pass in lieu of doing something um, a little more interesting, which is you know going over the Nintendo DS dictionary. I do have. Um, Quite a bit of material lined up, though, and I, you know, I think Scott Lockman may have mentioned this before, but, you know, it almost seems like when you get too much material, you really have, or at least I do, difficulty getting motivation to get it all done. And you have to excuse me, I'm drinking, uh, Mitsuya Cider in between takes here and not even really starting and stopping the machine, so uh, you're going to hear a whole bunch of stuff that, uh probably wouldn't sound too professional. But again, that's sort of the the beauty of podcasting. I was thinking about that a little a little while ago when I was walking home from work. And I think this this tool, Ubercaster got me thinking about how it's really set up to try to make you have like a professional podcast. I think the dashboard sort of reminds me of something that like a radio DJ would want to have. You have sort of music, you can all line it up and move it around, put it anywhere you want. And you just hit a button and it goes. It reminds me of those who are in radio, you may remember this, but do you remember carts? When I worked at a radio station, they didn't have actual CDs. At the time they had carts and carts were nothing more than a tape that was put into a loop. So you would get a, uh, a new single in and the radio station operator would put it on a cart and you would just put it in a cart machine. And you'd press the button, and it'd play it all the way through, and then it would uh, play it right to the beginning again. And it kind of looked, kind of reminded me of an eight track. But these carts were just so, s- but simple to use. You know, a, a sheep could use it. it. Just ram its head into the button, and you're you're fine. In fact, uh, some of the DJs at my school probably uh, weren't as good as what a sheep could have done. But anyway, I'm I'm drastically digressing. Um, but it got me thinking about how many people who do podcasts, uh, at least some of the ones that I've heard, try to set it up sort of like a like a commercial podcast. And I, I found myself sort of doing the same thing too. So we're gonna try and cut that out a little bit. I'm still gonna put music in between and stuff because I think it's sort of a good break in between all the sections. But I don't know. Yeah, I think you gotta sort of take the good with the bad and and do it. You know, as it is. Which is probably the best way. And I think, I know the podcasts I listen to, I really enjoy when they do it just as it is. So, uh, what else has been going on? Um, I I still feel like I'm trying to recover from my vacation. It's been about three weeks since I've been back. But I have all these pictures I need to go through. I have some video. In fact, I sent a video to my family already about the uh, deer in Miyajima. And uh, I, I want to re-put it together for Finding Japan and, and put the titles on it and everything, but it's just, uh, you know, you need the motivation to get it going. And right now, I just don't have it. So I'm actually going to try and bang out um, some stuff later tonight, and hopefully we'll get some of that out. And uh, I'm not quite sure on the format for some of that stuff. I think what I may do is do some sections, just talk about the places I've been to, and then post links to the pictures so that people can can look at them. I think doing anything more than that would just take up way too much time for the amount of value that I think people would get out of it. I thought of doing a slideshow and talking about each place, but that takes time to research. And I, I think people can sort of get the point if I point out some of the highlights, like uh, going to Nikko and uh, Hiroshima and things like that. So I think i will rather do it that way and force you all to have to go to the blog like you have had to in the, the past few episodes. So I think that'll be the way I'll handle it. And of course, for the videos, I'll just release those as video episodes and everything else. And Oh, shoot. I am going to have to pause this because I just remembered there was another thing that I wanted to talk about, which I will insert in between the DS Kanji Dictionary Review And the quick discussion. It won't be quick, it actually will probably be quite detailed. But the discussion about Ubercaster. So, why don't we just stop talking about what we're going to do and get right to it? Ooh, all right, I love that song. It's um, it's a it's from a band that I used to be in, and uh, we had a, we had a lot of good times in that band. But that song in particular holds a special place in my heart because I wanted to uh, do a video for it, and I had an awesome concept and I had it all lined up, but we just couldn't get it together. So maybe in another life or a parallel universe, I've put that together somehow, and maybe can watch it on on YouTube in a, in a few years when they figure out how to get videos that you want to see or you imagine on, on YouTube instead of just uh, the crap that people normally post. And son that's not directed towards you. I've been enjoying your videos greatly, so don't take that the wrong way. Okay, here we go. We're going to talk about this DS dictionary. Um, the email comes from Emmett J. Cat. I don't know if his name is Emmett, but Emmett, thank you for the email. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, what this software is, how to use it, what I think the good points and the bad points are. Um but why don't we get started here? I bought this from Play Asia and the dictionary is called Kanji Sonomama Rakubiki Jiten and you can actually go to Wikipedia. I was surprised when I went to go research this episode that I found there's a Wikipedia article on this piece of software which is strange in my mind but it, someone thought it important to put together. And the, uh, the thing that's really nice about it is it's a really good launch pad for, for um, how to get information about this, and it does include uh, information on the official Nintendo website as well as joystick, or joystick, as it's kind of spelled with the S-T-I-Q. Okay, um, it is a Nintendo DS game, so you will need to have a Nintendo DS in order to... Run it. And if you're not familiar with the Nintendo DS, DS is dual screen, and one of the screens, the bottom one, they're arranged vertically, you can actually write on with a stylus or a pen, um, you know, like the corner of a pen or whatever. So it's an excellent uh, interface for those who are learning Japanese. Now, my biggest difficulty with learning Japanese is kanji, and I think that's probably most people's biggest difficulty, and it is probably, in my mind, the most fun part about learning Japanese, but it is the most difficult. And, you know, one of the big challenges I think that new learners of Japanese will have when they when they try to start tackling the language is when you see a kanji, how do you find a way to look it up? Because it's not like it starts with a letter. Now, the way that most students are taught is to count the strokes, and if you're first starting out, that can be quite difficult. And in fact, this, this now I think about it, this dictionary is not going to save you from having to memorize the strokes. Um, I should probably back up. Let's talk about strokes for a second. Kanji is made up of strokes, or what we would call in the U.S. lines. Oftentimes, what appears to us as maybe two lines is actually one stroke. For example, if you take the symbol for day or sun. To us, it looks like an upright rectangle with a line through the, minute, through the middle. And if you, had, if you ask a, uh, a regular English-speaking person, well, how many strokes do you think that is, they would probably say five. One for each of the sides and then one through the middle. In reality, that particular kanji has, now I have to do one, two, three, four strokes. The first stroke goes over the top and then down. So there are some rules regarding strokes. So usually when you don't have an electronic dictionary and you see a kanji, you have to count the strokes and then look up in a dictionary by stroke. And then some dictionaries are also broken in, broken down by particle. And I don't really quite understand particles in the traditional way. I'm using uh, a book to supplement my kanji learning that actually talks about how to make little mnemonic devices and mnemonics uh, and, and create stories in your head in order to learn some of the kanji, and um, that has it by some of the particles that it uses in order to help your memorization, so I don't know if that's quite correct, but um, you do need to know the strokes. Now, how does that relate to this dictionary? Well, this dictionary actually detects what you write in terms of kanji by also looking at your stroke and, more importantly, your stroke order. So you may get the actual strokes right, but if you don't do them in order, um, it may not recognize the particular kanji that, that you're going for. So, as we continue the review here, why don't we go ahead and turn it on. That is the DS turning on here. And I'm using a pen, I'm not using a stylus, because uh, I'm lazy and I don't feel like pulling it out. Okay, the dictionary is on. Now, th- if you search the internet, you'll actually find that there was a video review of this particular dictionary as well as I think uh, Joseph Tame from A Year in Japan talked about this dictionary as well. And he he actually landed on a different side. He said that he found another dictionary that um, was much better for him. But I do think that he's probably a little more uh, advanced than um, I will ever be actually in terms of Japanese. So his needs may be different. But I do encourage you to go to uh, I think it's www year in Japan no hyphens no periods in there com and find the episode where uh, Joseph talks about this uh, kanji sono mama rakubiki dictionary. I'm just gonna start calling it the uh, sono mama dictionary, which means I think roughly translate as as it is or as that is you know without doing anything different. Okay, so. The dictionary works in many ways. It works uh, from Japanese to English as well as English to Japanese. Now, I found that in my use of this dictionary, the Japanese to English is actually more useful. There are some entries that are kanji only and are described in Japanese, but I would say that I can't really guess with any certainty um, in terms of the actual Uh, Entries and what what the how it's divided up as to what it has, but I would say that ninety five percent of the time when I go to look up a word, there is an English explanation about what the word is. So you can put in the kanji and look up words. You can put in the words and get a kanji meaning from it. You can put in a the words in hiragana and katakana and get a um, English, or you can also put in the English and get uh, the Japanese. Now, I I think what's pretty interesting about the English here, I'm going to put in dog here. What I think this is good uh, for, and I think what it's actually built for, is more for Japanese speakers. For example, and and the reason why I say it is because a lot of the words actually have English audio. So, you know, here's dog. Dog. And uh, let's see, dodge, I'm sure is probably here, dogged. Not all of them have sound, but apparently Dogfish and Dogged does. So that tells me that just the way it was designed was uh, more for Japanese speakers learning English. So keep that in mind. Also, the interface is all in Japanese, but it is pretty easy to to get used to. Okay. Um, I think that it's pretty much available at any import store, either online or an actual store. So... I haven't really found many import game stores in the U.S., but one of the sites that I've used in the past that has virtually everything is playasia.com. And I think you may need to be careful there, too, because there might be a, a porn site with a similar name. <laughs> so when you do look it up, I think it's play-asia.com. Excuse me. <clears throat> play-asia.com. I don't want to send you in the wrong direction. So just... Uh, Keep that in mind as well. Um, It's no more than a regular Nintendo game. Um, So from a price point perspective, I think it's pretty reasonable. And also with the exchange rate right now, you'll pretty much make up for the shipping cost. So if you do import it, it should be uh, pretty reasonable. The thing that I like about the dictionary is if you look at most uh, electronic dictionaries, they cost, I would think, anywhere between hundred and fifty all the way up to about five hundred dollars now of course they vary in functionality and different things you can do but if you think about it even if you do get this dictionary and don't get much use out of it right away I still think it's a very good investment when I got the dictionary I knew just the very basics and I knew hiragana and katakana so I think from my perspective that would be my very minimum requirements if you know hiragana and katakana it's helpful I'm at a point now where some of the words I can kind of understand the Japanese meaning if there is no English explanation. So, I and I do that by recognizing kanji that I already know. That's rare but it's starting to happen for me, so maybe it will for you as well. If you're a complete beginner at Japanese, I would not recommend getting this dictionary and by that I mean if you're taking an online course and you've only finished like the first course if you're doing um what's that program Rosetta Stone or something like that and you're you're doing it all with Romaji you you may have some difficulty so I would sort of steer away from it until you get a little more comfortable with the Kana now there's also some additional features to this dictionary that I don't really use that often. There's a world clock, which kind of boggles my mind. I'm not quite sure why I would need to be checking what time it is while I'm using my dictionary. There's a calendar, um, and let's see, I really do like the navigation itself. It's sort of set up like a a flashcard metaphor, so you write in the bottom and you pick the word at the bottom, and then the card for the word shows up on the top screen. And you can use the top buttons to flip between cards. And then you also have this scroll wheel to scroll through some of the larger entries. And some of the entries are are really, really quite extensive. The example sentences that they give you for most of the words um, usually are pretty good to help you get the meaning. So if I type in a word in Japanese and it tells me an English uh, explanation of it, It'll actually give me a bunch of sample English sentences, which I think are more for Japanese speakers, but from an English speaker perspective, it really it, it's really helpful to see that word in a sentence, to see the kanji in a sentence, and to also see an English translation of the sentence. So for words that have quite a few meanings and quite a few uses, it, it's a very useful tool. Like I said, you input the various kanji, in, uh, this, in a mode with the stylus, but there's also a keyboard if you do choose to enter it in via keyboard. So if your writing's not so great, don't worry about that either. I would say that it recognizes the kanji 99% of the times that I write it, and the times that it doesn't recognize it, my stroke order is off, and that's why. So overall, I think it's really good. The, the final feature that I think is helpful, especially when you're learning new kanji, is it allows you to capture or to save a particular card to lists. So one one way I use this is if I do have the dictionary out, say when I'm in the train just reviewing some things, I have a list of kanji, difficult kanji, that I'm having trouble reviewing. So I can go through them and, and draw them out, which helps and then see the card come up again. The other thing that um, I find really helpful is often I will see kanji that I see very, very often, but... I don't really have the time to learn it because it's not in the order in my book and I'm I'm trying to go in the right order. So what I'll do is I'll write it, I'll grab it, and I'll put it to another list. So afterwards I can review and say, oh, these are the kanji I see often and maybe I should actually learn them. So I I very much like that feature. There is also um, TOEK quizzes. Uh, TOEK is uh, an English language capability rating system. I don't even know if it's a company, but I do know that there are different levels of TOEIC. And there's also, I don't even know if it's pronounced TOEIC. It's T-O-E-I-C. I I call it TOEIC. Um, But there's different levels. So there are quizzes for uh, people who are learning English and want to improve their TOEIC proficiency. So uh, if you're a Japanese speaker, you're probably not even listening to this podcast. So I think the point is somewhat... Moot, but uh, if you are for whatever reason and welcome, then um, you may like that feature, which is the ability to do it by different levels. Likewise, there's also a kanji quiz, but unfortunately, most of the questions are asked in Japanese, so it is very, very, very difficult. So, Emmet, there you go. I hope that helps. Um, I realize quite a few listeners are, are much more proficient at Japanese than I am, so this is probably something that um, if you do, don't have a handy dictionary and you already have a DS, uh, go ahead and pick it up. What I wouldn't do is I, I wouldn't um, recommend that you get a DS specific, specifically for this and only this. If, if you are interested in Japanese and you want to get something like this, pick up I don't know, Elite Beat Agents, uh, what else is there, Advance Wars. There's a ton of great games for the DS. So it's, it's actually kind of funny because when I have this out at work, um, I often get looks. People think I'm, <laughs> I'm playing a game, but I, I actually oftentimes, I, I, I often tell them that, uh, it, no, it's a dictionary. I'm not playing a game. And I explain, even though I probably don't have to, but it always helps to be polite and to show. That you're diligent in the Japanese office. All right, all right, all right. Okay, Um, the next thing that I want to talk about is something I just ran into quite randomly. There's a, a great podcast out from G4, and at this point, I'm going to pause the audio because I didn't get the audio clip already, and I want to get that all ready to go before we get into it any further, so here we go with the pause. Okay, so I guess that's one of the cool parts about Ubercaster. I'll get into that in a second. You can pretty much bring audio in midstream, too, and then and then start up again, and I don't know, I did have to switch over to the prep tab, but hey, it all works. So, anyway, here we go. We're going to get ready to do this. Now, the show is called Code Monkeys, and it's part of G4's set of podcasts. G4 is a video game channel based out of the United States, and it's usually only available if you pay like an obscene amount of money for your cable and get all these channels like the uh, Belgian Waffle channel that nobody ever watches except when they want Belgian waffles like once a year. So... Anyway, it's a great show, and it's available by a podcast, and I'm looking at the feed now. It looks like it was started uh, right around the beginning of July, so it's fairly new. Um, I hope they continue with it. It is a show that is based around the lives of a couple video game programmers, but it's done in pixelated format like a Leisure Suit Larry game. If you're familiar with that game, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But what's really interesting and really well done about this uh, program or this this set of videos is that there are health meters at the top and little statuses that change as the story progresses. So there's almost a dual layer of jokes going on. It's very, very entertaining. I just started watching this show. uh, I think I subscribed to it about a week ago. And I took a couple episodes back just to sort of get an idea of what was going on. But I just happened to start when one of the video game programmers is invited to go to the Japanese main company and develop games for them. And there's a bunch of great jokes, a bunch of material about Japan. And um, if you're into Japan and into sort of like the cultural differences and some of the humor, I highly recommend checking it out. But um, until then, I'm going to play a bit of the audio from it, and uh, hopefully you guys enjoy it. So here we go. Jerry-san, is all right if I call you Jerry-san? Yeah, actually that's kind of awesome. Jerry-san, when murder happens, you come back with us to headquarters in Tokyo in Japan. Hard working programmers treated like god. You must be tallest man in whole world. Why yes, I am the tallest man in the world. You are biggest I've ever seen. 5 inches. That's as big as they get, baby. I'll definitely think about it. Hey, but what about my partner, Dave? Ah, yes. The smiriest of you all. We will figure out what is best, but I'm not entirely sure he fit in with restrained, polite culture. (laughs) Nonde, 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 nonde. Nonde, 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 nonde. You guys rule! Especially you, Toshiki! Anybody who can almost keep up with me automatically qualifies for bro status. What do you mean, Almost. You are the one who can almost keep up with us. Oh, yeah? Well, we may have bailed you guys out in WW2, but don't expect any mercy this go around, Haji. Give me, come here, come here, come here, Hawk. You truly believe you can outconsume consume the men of Protendo? Men of Protendo, please. Mr. Sad Crying Cloud is probably the gayest game I've ever seen. You guys really turned up the suck knob on that one. <laughs> hey, boys, who needs boobs in their face? Silent Hawk! Ah, my back. Holy yes, in Japanese business school, we train in all the mental and physical arts, including eating and drinking contests. Now we battle! Yeah, I don't know. I don't think our bosses would like us fighting like this. Mr. Matsui does not know of this, and you will not tell Larity. Kobatashi! Now you will wager your honor against Kobatashi! I don't have any honor! Bring it on! <laughs> Uh, you, you'll just have to go watch it to find out what happens. But there's another one right after that where he's settling into his job and he's proposing uh, a new game for, um, I forget the name of the company, Some some sort of spoof off of Nintendo. But definitely, definitely check it out, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. So there you go. It's called Code Monkeys, and it is brought to you by G4. Definitely, definitely highly recommended. Go check it out. almost half hour in this episode right now, so wow. I will have to sort of shorten this little review of Ubercaster, but um, let's do a little backup and a little level setting here. Um, First of all, some of the terminology I use may be unfamiliar. I've done Pro Audio for a couple years, and I'm used to using Apple's Logic, uh, Digital Performer, and things like that, so um, I am very... Uh, I'm kind of start sounding like a jerk, but I'm pretty well versed in how to put together audio and how to mix audio. But um, one of the things that I really struggle with is the amount of time that it takes to produce podcasts. And I think that's sort of where Ubercaster comes in and has a niche to fill. The way Ubercaster works is it works with the podcast production stage. It happens in four stages, uh, or according to Ubercaster. The first is the prep stage, where you get to drag your inputs onto a canvas. And you get to drag in the audio files that you may want to insert in there along with it. So, for example, I have a um, a USB audio mic, and I'm sorry, a USB breakout uh, audio to digital converter. I think it's made by M-Audio. And um, I have an actual Shure SM57 hooked up via XLR into uh, a little preamp here that comes with it. And then that goes into my computer via USB. But in Ubercaster, I just get a little box, I drag it on there, and I can turn it on and off and change the volume. So it's a very easy way to put all this stuff together. It also has integration with Skype, so you can pull in a Skype in uh, sort of Skype input type thing onto the canvas and use that as well and do a phone call. So the thing I really like about it is the integration with all the different pieces. You can take an audio file off your hard drive and bring it in. You can tweak the audio, add effects to it before you even start recording. You can also assign keyboard shortcuts to those audio. So, for example, um, I have two assigned to this bumper music here, and then I can hit it again and it turns right off. And if I hit it again, it starts. And I'm doing this all in real time right now. I'm not re-inserting these little things into a sort of post-production phase. Um. So I have, like, the intro music, you know, a couple bumpers, uh, letters to my future self thing, and the outro, yada, yada. And then now in this thing, too, I also have the audio that I just grabbed. I grabbed some system audio directly from iTunes using uh, Audio Hijack, and I caught that little section that I wanted to share with you. But the audio was actually – had some blank space in front of it and some stuff at the end of it that I didn't want, but that was okay because in Ubercaster you can also – kind of set the intro and outro point of a particular piece of audio. It also has um, automatic ducking. So if I play the, the hologram bumper like this, right, it's underneath my voice, but if I stop talking, it gets, it gets a little louder. So it does a lot of things for you automatically, and you do have the ability to control that. So, for example, with the ducking, I can control how much it pulls out how long it takes before it comes in and out, things like that, just to sort of, in my mind, set it and forget it. And it's much easier than building an entire Logic setup. If you're familiar with Logic in that application, it's very difficult. It has a really, really steep learning curve in it, but it's so super flexible. So once you get it set up the way you want, it runs beautifully. So on my mind, that's sort of the pros. Now, when, when you get to the record section, you have a small little recorder, And you just sort of trigger these things. So now I'm looking at the canvas, and it's uh, very—it's not distracting. It's very clean. You can focus on what you're saying. You don't have to fiddle around with anything. Then the final thing it has is a cut. I'm sorry. The third thing it has is a cut section, which is where you actually see everything you've done on a timeline. So if you do need to make adjustments, you have the ability to do that right in Ubercaster. And then finally, it has a release section where you can choose the formats or multiple formats and have it automatically upload to an FTP site. So it's really trying to be sort of an all-in-one system for doing podcasts. If that sounds like something you are you would be interested in, I would recommend at least checking out the demo because it does make producing podcasts much, much easier. And in fact, this podcast, let's see, it's taken about um, 35 minutes to record the audio. It'll only take me about two minutes to check to make sure that there was no glitches in the audio, and then I will play it back while I'm writing up the show notes, and then it'll be up there. So o- overall, p- my post-production time has dropped down to about, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes, if that. And you can insert the artwork. You can do chapters. You, If you like doing the podcast with the chapters and the pictures, you can do all of that. So it is very well flexible. The one major issue that I have with it, though, is that it records... In this huge file format, I think it's like a 32-bit file, directly inside the um, Ubercaster file. So much like GarageBand, where all your audio files are actually inside that one big Apple container file, Ubercaster does the same thing. This is not a problem when you do, say, a half-hour podcast like I'm doing now, but the FujiCast that I just did, episode 36 with Alex, we recorded it in Ubercaster But unfortunately, I wasn't able to do the post-production in Ubercaster because the files were so large, we had about an hour of audio, two tracks each, or I'm sorry, two tracks in total, one track each, and it just totally bogged it down. And it wasn't until I went searching for the audio files and converted them to something I could use within Logic to do the editing that I realized this thing was recording in that type of format, so... That's probably only the downside, the performance. So if you're the type of podcaster and you're putting together multiple different things and you really want control over your audio um, and you really want to sound nice and professional, then Ubercaster may not be the way to go, especially if you're recording quite long podcasts. If you're like me for the most of the time and you're you're doing podcasts that range anywhere from about 20 to 40 minutes each, then I would say at least give it a shot because the interface alone might be what attracts you to it. What attracted me to it, I think, was having everything in one and the amount of time that it would save me in post-production. I was doing quite a bit of post-production in GarageBand, and then my Logic my Logic Key arrived um, when my fiancée had come out to visit. She brought it with her, and... I thought I would move then on over to, to Logic, but I realized just the time spent in post-production was really kind of killing me. So overall, I, I think it's a good program. I'd like to see how it evolves. Um, it is, I believe, $80 or seventy nine ninety nine US, so it is a little pricey. You compare that with Apple's entire operating system costing, I don't know, around, what, $130? It, it's kind of on the pricey side, and it really didn't occur to me until... Terrence from the Kobe beef show and way of the grape brought it up. So if you already have a setup that works well for you, then it may not be uh, quite what you're looking for. But again, if, if you're looking for something to sort of ease the pain and to make things a little simpler, then it may be something you are looking for. So check out the demo. I think it's a great product, but overall I think it's not quite yet ready for prime time or professional use. So, And now my bumpers are all in a different spot, so I can't use them because I had to show you guys. Ah, Okay, so anyway, um, I think that's going to do it. I just wanted to thank you all again for listening. I hope you found this interesting. So we did the uh, review of the Kanji Dictionary. We talked a little bit about some Japan-related cartoons on the Internet, and um, we sort of nerded out for a little bit about podcasting. Uh, I wanted to nerd out a little more, but... In reality, I think I should probably go study. I was going to try and do two podcasts, but this one's turning out to be over a half hour, so I don't think I'm going to get to it. But uh, I did want to say hi to everybody. Um, I have noticed a, a, quite a distinct lack of podcasts from others lately. I feel like I'm I'm carrying the torch here. Uh, I know Scott Lockman was on vacation for a while. Um, I did want to say thanks to uh, Ma Fuchan for putting out the podcast uh, Okonomiyaki cast. I thought that was excellent. And that guy that you had on there doing the sort of like crock hunter thing was absolutely hilarious. And uh, now when I get back to the States, I'm I'm certainly going to try to make my own Okonomiyaki. And um, for those who haven't seen it, I will put a link to it as well. Um, You guys can check it out if you're interested in, in Japanese food. So... Oh, and uh, we do have a couple things that we're going to be doing. We, just myself, I'm going to Yokohama this Friday with some classmates. And it also looks like there may be a sumo tournament in my near future here. But we will see whether or not that actually pans out. So um, I wanted to thank you all for listening. I hope you've enjoyed. And what else can I say? Thanks. Take care now.